Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We are speaking here on Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. It is a few days after the end of the New York State Legislative Session, which my guest today was a part of his last of more than 50 Assemblymember Richard Dick Gottfried joins me here today. He represents the 75th Assembly District covering Chelsea, Hell's Kitchen, Murray Hill, Midtown, parts of the Lincoln Center area in Manhattan, and he's chair of the Assembly Health Committee. Assemblymember Gottfried is the longest serving legislator in New York State history and not seeking reelection this year. He's been known uh, per his announcement of his retirement as an outspoken champion for progressive values, comprehensive health care, human rights, and Manhattan's West Side. He has served in the New York State Assembly since 1970 and is chair of the Health Committee since 1987. He's sponsored over 500 laws, including major changes related to LGBTQ rights, uh, the Hudson River waterfront, uh, uh, hotels, criminal justice reform, child health care, and much, much more. We will get into a lot of that with Assemblyman Gottfried here in just one minute. He's also known as the lead sponsor of the New York Health Act to create universal publicly funded single payer health coverage in New York. And we'll discuss that long battle with him here on the show in just a moment. First, very quickly, if you've missed any of our recent reporting at Gotham Gazette, you can find it at gothamgazette.com. We've been covering the end of that state legislative session. New York City budget season is upon us. The mayor and the city council have to get to an agreement on a new city budget by the end of this month here in June and much more. There is, of course, a lot going on with redistricting in the 2022 New York elections for the House of Representatives, the state legislature, statewide seats and more. And we've been covering a lot of that as well here on the show on Max Politics. We've been having a bunch of really interesting conversations. It's something of a retirement week here as my other guest this week on the show is State Senator Diane Savino. I just had a conversation with her that you can find after you listen to this one about her 18 years that Felt like a long time to her, but nothing, of course, compared to today's guest, Assemblymember Gottfried. But uh, talking with State Senator Diane Savino also this week about her tenure in the state Senate. Uh, she's moving on and declining to seek reelection as well this year. And then other weeks recently, I've spoken with uh, New York City Councilmember Carlina Rivera, who's now running for Congress in the newly constructed New York 10. Uh, and a bunch of other great guests. So you can find all of those at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts, or we have them all at the Gotham Gazette website. Okay, Assembly Member Richard Gottfried, thank you very much for joining me. How are you? I'm doing fine. Good to be with you. So how does it feel? You you finished your uh, final session. Uh, of course, there could be a special session before the end of the year. You might wind up back in Albany passing some bills again. But um, but how does it feel? And and you know, broadly speaking, what are you reflecting on as you as you wrapped up this session? Well, it in a word, it feels good. I am uh, very much looking forward to loving retirement. Um, but I also had a terrific year this year. We got uh, 31 bills of mine passed the assembly. Uh, 21 of my bills passed both houses. Uh, 
and uh, some have already been signed by Governor Hochul. The rest that we're, we're hoping will get signed. So, you know, on the other hand, there were things that we wanted to, to get done that that didn't get done. Uh, uh, most, uh, most importantly, uh, passing the New York Health Act, uh, which I've been uh, sponsoring for 30 years now. Uh, it was uh, uh, one more disappointing year in that that did not uh, come to the assembly and Senate floor and get passed, uh, but that struggle will continue. You know, in, in, in some ways, uh, I often say the legislature has sort of um, conspired to enable my addiction to uh, uh, to the legislature every just about every year at the end of session. I I feel great that we accomplished some important things and and that makes me want to come back. And at the same time, I'm always disappointed at things that we didn't get done. And that makes me want to come back. Uh, so, so in, in, in many ways, this end of session was, was like many others. How, how did it happen this more than half a century in the assembly? Uh, you, you looked at a congressional run at one point, but really have, have been so, uh, devoted and loyal to the assembly and, and continuing to stay there. How, how did that happen for you? Obviously, um, there have been some other legislators who have had who've had pretty long runs, but nothing uh, nothing like yours. Um, how, how did that happen? Well, you know, in in other 19- than getting elected at a very young age, of course. Yeah. Well, you know, in 1960, <laughs> start there. when I was when I was 13, John Kennedy was running for president. And like millions of other Americans, I was really impressed with him. And at that tender age, decided that elective office was what I wanted to do for a career. And uh, when I got to high school a year later, I ran into a handful of other kids, uh, one of whom is my congressman, Jerry Nadler. And uh, we all realized that we were all interested in politics and decided we would work together to try to get each other elected. And in 1970, uh, lo and behold, I I ran for an open seat in the state assembly um, and got elected. And uh, uh, I think part of the part of what uh, has kept me here all this time is that uh, in 1974, after being in the minority uh Politically, uh, with the Watergate landslide, we took a majority in the state assembly uh, and have held it ever since uh, a, a growing majority and serving in the majority in the assembly can, if you're really interested in, in public policy, uh, can be an, an extraordinarily rewarding uh thing to do. And uh, I have found that, uh, you know, I learned reasonably well how to uh, how to work the system, so to speak, to uh, to get a lot of my ideas enacted into law. And I just uh, have always found that a very, a very satisfying uh, thing to do. You know, they say if you find a job that you that you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. Uh, and so I've considered myself enormously lucky uh, to be able to do something that I love uh, and, uh, and and keep at it. 
a lot of the time that the Democrats uh, have held held control of the assembly has coincided with Republican governors and or Republican control of the state Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how how has that been and how has been how has it been these last uh, couple terms with Democratic control of both houses and the governor's office, super majorities in both houses now this last session? Uh, trace that arc and that final sort of flood of uh, Democratic priorities passing these last few years? Yeah, well, you know, fortunately, Republicans in New York State are uh, are a lot more moderate than Republicans in perhaps any other state, certainly a lot more moderate than Republicans uh, in nationally and in a lot of states today. Uh, And so, uh, you know, even when we had a Republican majority in the state Senate, uh, I and others in the assembly were always able to get uh, to get things done. Certainly not a lot of the things that we wanted to get done. But, you know, in every year, eight, nine hundred, a thousand bills would pass both houses of the legislature, even when we had uh, a strong Democratic majority in the Assembly and a Republican majority in the Senate. Uh, Likewise, for, you know, for 12 years under Governor Pataki, we had a Republican governor. Um, And even at at that time, uh, we were always able uh, to get a lot of important things done. you know, the uh, the expansion of the the Child Health Plus program, which got enacted in 1990. Uh, It was my bill and it it started off small, but it was you know, it was enacted when we had a Republican majority in the state Senate. And every year we were able to expand it uh, in terms of the ages of kids covered, income level, uh, the scope of the benefits. And then in in 97, when there was now federal matching money uh, for Child Health Plus, uh, we were able to get it uh, very dramatically expanded uh, with a Republican governor and with a with a Republican majority in the state Senate. Uh, so even in, in, in those years, uh, there was always a lot we could get done. Mm. Has, I want to ask you uh, how you've seen the New York Republican Party change over time, how you've seen the New York Democratic Party change over time. And uh, third, and I can and I can repeat these, of course, if you take them one at a time, but how your politics uh, have or haven't changed over time. Um, You you mentioned working with Republicans a lot over the years Mm -hmm. and New York Republicans being more moderate uh, than some of their national counterparts. Uh, Some of that you know, seeming to have changed a bit in recent years in the sort of Trump era. And, and of course, um, it's, it's a little bit hard to gauge that when you have when Republicans have lost so many swing seats to Democrats in the state Senate over these last couple of elections. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's a little hard to, to know what that would look like if things were a little bit different. But um, it seems to me that it, you know, New York has not been different than a lot of other places in terms of some of that shift in the Republican Party. What have you what have you noticed there? Let's start there. Yeah, um, I guess if I were if it were if I needed to, to study the Republican makeup of the legislature more, I, I might have more to say. But my mm-hmm. sense is that I don't think uh, 
the Republican Party and the Republican representation in the legislature uh, has changed all that much uh, over the years. Uh, again, I would I, I suppose there are people who study the Republican Party more closely than I do uh, who might say otherwise. Uh, the Democratic makeup of the legislature uh, has changed considerably, uh, both in the last 52 years since I arrived and in the last several years. Uh, you know, when I arrived, it seemed like uh, the an awful lot of my colleagues were there, uh, either because it was the, you know, the the best job they could get uh, or because they were, you know, biding their time until it was their turn to get elected to be a judge um, uh, or, or to or to run for local office uh, so they didn't have to travel to Albany. Um, but when I first arrived, there weren't a lot of members of the legislature, uh, it seemed to me, uh, who were there because they really loved public policy uh, and wanted to have an effect on it. Um, over the years, uh, more and more uh, of the legislature is people who are there full time, who do not have another occupation. Uh, and that's the really the vast majority, uh, certainly on the Democratic side. Uh, it has become much more diverse, uh, particularly in the last, uh, I don't know, five or six or so years, uh, uh, a lot more younger members, a lot more women, a lot more people of color, uh, a lot more people who are uh, adamantly progressive uh, in the last several election cycles. So in those in in those respects, uh, the assembly and Senate membership uh, has changed considerably, uh, uh, and I think very much for the better. Uh, you know, my own politics. Uh, I think are not all that different from what they were 52 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I certainly know a lot more uh, in a lot more detail. Um, I'm a lot more versed in health policy. And until I became chairman of the health committee, uh, I knew next to nothing about health policy, um, learned very quickly. Um, but, you know, every so often I, I, over the years, I've pulled out a copy of the uh, four-page legal-sized single-spaced platform uh, that I typed up when I in 1970 when I ran, uh, as if people would really be interested uh, in, in me having a four-page platform. But you know, me and some of my campaign volunteers thought it was really important. And when I've gone back and read it, um, there's uh, there's really nothing there that I would say, oh, my God, how did I believe that back then? Um, and there are a couple of issues where it uh, it, it kind of surprises me how uh, how moderate one or two of my views were. For example, the thing that st st sticks out most in my mind was uh, on the subject of marijuana. In 1970, my platforms advocated creating a commission uh, to study our our marijuana policies, um, you know, by 1975, uh, I was introducing a bill uh, copying the Oregon statute uh, to uh, 
to lower penalties down to like the penalty for littering uh, for possession of uh, a little under an ounce uh, of marijuana. Uh, and uh, in 1977, that became law. Uh, also in, uh, in 1972, uh, I signed on as a co-sponsor of a, of a bill sponsored by then assembly member Franz Leichter, uh, to, uh, to legalize and regulate and tax marijuana much the way we tax alcohol. Uh, I signed on to that bill 50 years ago, um, and uh, it wasn't until, I guess it's now two or three years ago, that it finally, that something like that finally became law. Um, never uh, give up. <laughs> never give up. Uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've got quite a few bills that I've, uh, that have come become law after 14 or 15 or 16 or 17 years uh, uh, of me sponsoring them. Uh, fortunately, a lot of my bills become law in a lot less time than that. Mm -hmm. And of course, the New York Health Act, which I've carried for 30 years, uh, which would make a, a dramatic change in our in access to health care for all of us, uh, has not become law yet. But uh, I, I will I will be working with whoever uh, picks up that bill uh, uh, to help get it done. Now, that that can be a big test of your your ability to influence legislation from the outside. Um, you had uh, a first bill for public campaign financing in 1979. You had the first uh, bill for legalizing same-sex marriage in 2003. Uh, both of those, as you were just talking about with some other issues, both of those eventually became, right. you know, law in New York state in some right. version um, among, among some others. Um, what are, what are one or two things that um, you had to compromise on that you think about as either a model of compromise, something you look back with maybe some regret about having compromised on uh, any any sort of in the legislative process, which obviously uh, often has to hinge on compromise. Yeah. Any any compromises stand out that you 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 know you sort of were influ influential in making those decisions to to come to a deal um, that that stick out in your mind over the years. Well, I don't know. Well, first, uh, just as a historic footnote, you mentioned. Uh, uh, the same-sex marriage bill, and I, I, I did introduce the first marriage bill in the assembly. Uh, state Senator Tom Duane, my state senator at the time, uh, had introduced the bill in the Senate a year before. Uh -huh. uh, after I carried it for a few years, uh, State Senate uh, Assembly Member Danny O'Donnell, uh, one of our out gay members. Uh, uh, felt it was important that an openly gay member should be carrying the bill. And so he took over sponsorship of the bill and it, uh, after a couple of more years, it became law. Um, in terms of, uh, compromises that I regret, um, I don't know that anything comes to mind. Um, you or know, the, uh, the, you know, one example of, of, of compromise is the, the Child Health Plus program, uh, which provides state funded health coverage for uh, kids up to age 19 in uh, in low and moderate income families. Uh, 
we enacted that in 1990 as a very limited program. It only covered kids up to age 12. Uh, it only covered outpatient care. It didn't include dental and vision, uh, which is a big part of health care for children. Um, but because it was very small, uh, we could get it enacted and, and funded with, uh, you know, hardly, uh, you know, making a big bump in the state budget that year. Um, and we did that very consciously uh, to get the thing planted uh, with the notion that year after year we would work to expand it. Uh, and we were able to do that. Uh, and, and finally, in 97, when the federal matching money became available, and by the way, the federal money uh you know, at the time the federal money was enacted, New York and Minnesota were the only two states that had a, a child health insurance plan. We we plagiarized it from Minnesota. They were the first. Um, but in in 96, uh, the federal government decided to create federal matching money uh, if any state wanted to create a program like New York's. Uh, and within, I don't know, a few years, every state had a child health insurance program uh, very much like what we and Minnesota uh, had broken ground on. So it was, to me, that was, has always been an example of, you know, you, you know, you grab whatever you can at a given moment. And I, mm -hmm. I don't consider it uh, compromise. I consider it, you know, half a loaf is better than none. And okay. You come back a year later and, and fight for more. You know, when we did the marijuana bill uh, in 1977 uh, that lowered penalties, uh, we ended up where the, you know, the, the, the violation level quantity was, uh, was a lot lower than I had originally wanted. Uh, and that was a compromise with the state Senate. Uh, we, uh, we had to uh, agree that, uh, open possession in a public place and 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 smoking in a public place would be would still be a misdemeanor, uh, which uh, we didn't want to do. But uh, actually, for the first 20 years of the law was really not a problem. Uh, what then happened was under Mayor Giuliani, the New York police started cracking down on uh, on those small offenses, you know, they would stop a kid on the street and tell him to empty his pockets and the kid would pull out a joint and he'd be arrested for public display of marijuana. Um, and there were we went from having almost no marijuana arrests at that time uh, to having 50,000 arrests a year in New York City, uh, which was pretty outrageous. Um, and that was part of what helped to fuel uh, the effort to to fully uh, create uh, legal adult use. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when that finally passed, uh, uh, you know, we were able to undo the, the compromise we had had to make in 1977. Uh, so sometimes it takes a while wow. yeah. uh, to, get, to get the whole deal done. You've been chair of the Assembly Health Committee uh, for 35 years. Why did you become the chair in the first place? What what precipitated that? What made that happen? Was it a particular interest and urge of yours to chair it? Was it luck? Was it somebody needed to do it and you well, you were named? You know, for for the eight years before I became chair of the health committee, um, I was deputy majority leader. Um 
in the assembly after having chaired a couple of committees. And when the health committee, well, what happened was the, the guy who was the majority leader of the assembly uh, left the assembly in, in late April to become uh, head of the New York State Business Council. Jim Tallon, who for a number of years had chaired the health committee, uh, became chair, became the majority leader. And so the health committee opened up and a member of my staff called me up and said, you know, Dick, you really ought to put your name forward for that. It's an important committee. You'd be really great at it. And I, and I said to her, stop talking. I'm going to hang up the phone. I'm going to call the speaker, Mel Miller, and let him know I'm interested before he gives it to somebody else. Uh, because there were quite a few other people who were angling to, to get the chairmanship. And within two days, I was the new chair of the health committee. Um, you know, it was not a topic I knew a lot about. Um, you know, almost all of us in the assembly at that point, uh, you know, relied on Jim Tallon to to know health policy. And we had enough confidence in him that if Jim Tallon said we should do such and such, we all said, count me in. Uh, I learned a lot very quickly. Um, I was fortunate that Jim Tallon, uh, you know, was not leaving the assembly. He stayed on as as majority leader. And I relied on on him uh, heavily for uh, for several years to learn from. Uh, but it was a it was a big change in 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 my career. It totally changed the set of issues that I that I work on. Um, and it's about the best thing I've uh, I've ever done in my career. What was top of mind then when you said, I'm if you know, if this works out or once it did work out, these are these are the things I really need to be tackling. Was it AIDS, HIV? Was it, uh, you know, different sets of laws and public health around drug use? Was yeah. it? Go ahead. Well, um, you know, the the I had worked on two or three health issues uh, before I became chair in May of 87. Uh, I had worked on legislation to create uh, what became known as the uh, prenatal care assistance program, which was essentially a, uh, an aspect of Medicaid uh, that gave additional support uh, for prenatal care. Um, and we had done that in the early 80s. And um, uh, I got involved in that issue because Carol Bellamy, who was the uh, city council president at the time and a good and a good friend of mine, uh, she was interested in the issue and uh, and and got me working on 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 that. Um, I had uh, sponsored some legislation that became law on uh, uh, the environment on uh, the health aspects of environmental uh, pollution uh, and had held hearings with the health committee and the and the environmental conservation committee uh at the time uh and and so those were a couple of issues that i had been working on i had started to be uh interested in hiv issues because representing the chelsea neighborhood uh with a very uh substantial uh gay population uh my district was an early center of the hiv epidemic and in 87, 88, when I was fresh on the job as health chair, uh, HIV related legislation was one of the major things uh, we dealt with, uh, including enacting legislation to provide 
special confidentiality uh, protections for uh, information for a, a patient's records about HIV testing and information and, and treatment rather. And that was particularly important because a lot of people were afraid to go for testing or for treatment uh, because they didn't want anybody to find out that they had HIV. There was so much uh, stigma at the time. And, you know, when we went to look at what the laws were protecting the confidentiality of health information, uh, we discovered that while there was a lot of tradition in the medical profession about confidentiality, there was very little law. And so one of the first things we worked on was enacting uh, what became the HIV confidentiality legislation, uh, which has since gone on to be copied by uh, a great many other states. Interesting. Um, On public health and health issues beyond the New York Health Act, which we'll get to in one second, anything else that you consider... um, something that you didn't get to tackle to the degree you'd like? Is there uh, a specific health issue that is right now, particularly, I mean, obviously there's the pandemic and I want to talk about that too in a moment, but is there a public health issue that's, um, you know, you're leaving unfinished business, let's say. Yeah. Well, as I've said, the far and away, the number one issue uh, that I wish we had accomplished was getting the New York health act uh, passed, which would set up, single payer health coverage uh, here in New York. Uh, you know, just about every problem we face uh, in health and healthcare, whether it's as a patient or uh, employers, taxpayers, doctors, hospitals, uh, almost every problem we face in healthcare is made worse and harder to solve uh, because of the way we pay for healthcare in this country. Uh, and, uh, you know, in any given year, uh, uh, about, uh, you know, a majority of New York households uh, has somebody in the household who goes without needed health care. Uh, and these are people who have health insurance, uh, who goes without needed health care, either because they can't afford it um, or, or, or they suffer financial hardship paying for it. These are people who have health insurance uh, because our health insurance in this country comes with uh, hefty deductibles and co-pays. And if you go out of network, you, you, you pay out of network charges. Uh, you know, no, no major, uh, no industrial democracy in, in the world uh, pays for healthcare the way we do. Uh, and moving to single payer coverage uh, would make an enormous difference uh, in inequality in healthcare and in access to healthcare for all of us. Uh, you know, I, I always say, uh, you know, about about 95 percent of New Yorkers now have health coverage, but all of us have pretty crummy health coverage. I I have, you know, as a state employee, I have pretty what what in America passes for pretty good health coverage. Uh, but by world standards, my health coverage, then your health coverage, all of our listeners, uh, your health coverage is really pretty, pretty crummy by world standards. And it shouldn't be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way. And we could save billions of dollars a year uh, in the waste that we have in insurance company, um, uh, administ- bureaucracy and, and, and overhead and, and profit. Uh, we could save billions in what doctors and hospitals spend on uh, administrative costs to fight with insurance companies. Uh, we would have the bargaining clout to bring down uh, 
prescription drug prices. Um, and so 95% of New York households uh, would spend less than they now do on health coverage and health care under a single payer system. Uh, so why hasn't this let's 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 stick with this then. Why, why hasn't the New York Health Act passed when when Republicans controlled the state Senate, the assembly led by Democrats passed the New York Health Act yeah. multiple, multiple times. Democrats in the state Senate all signed on symbolically as as co-sponsors yeah. of the bill. Then Democrats get full control of the legislature. It doesn't happen. Uh, and yeah. it hasn't happened now for those uh, four years, basically, yeah. of full Democratic control. Why? Um, obviously, you had a governor in Andrew Cuomo who was very who said, I, "We don't, we shouldn't do this on the state level. I'd like to see it done on the national level." Uh, that could be just a, a punt and a way of, of yeah. avoiding yeah. discussing it. But um, and obviously, Governor Hochul has been only, governor only for nine, ten months. But but what's your assessment? Why hasn't this gotten uh, uh, to the finish line here? Well, for the years when the Republicans controlled the state Senate, the opposition that kept it from moving in the state Senate uh, was the insurance industry and, and big business, uh, you know, which regarded it as well, the insurance industry uh, quite properly regarded it as legislation that would put the health insurance industry out of business. Uh, and they were making a lot of money and didn't want to be put out of business. Under once the Democrats took a majority in the state Senate, you know, we now have a majority of the members of both houses are co-sponsors of the bill. But once we had Democratic control in both houses, uh, the public employee unions, uh, the teachers, the civil servants, et cetera, they went from being quiet on the topic uh, to opposing it. And uh you know, it's it's really hard to imagine a, a Democratic majority legislative body in New York passing important legislation that is opposed by uh, the public employee unions. They're an sure, important sure. part of our constituency. And now you want to know why they oppose it. Uh, you know, part of it is that they have negotiated for their members what they regard as very good health coverage and yeah, by American standards, it is very good, but they suffer with with rising premiums. Uh, you know, even the public employee unions will tell us that uh, every time they bargain a contract, they have to give up wages and benefits to protect the union health plan. Uh, they shouldn't have to do that. But, uh, you know, they feel they've negotiated a good good benefits for their members. Uh, and. Uh, you know, they want to know, can you guarantee that um, the benefits will be just as good under the New York Health Act uh, as what we've negotiated with our for our members? Uh, I think we've been able to demonstrate that we've offered them bill language that would uh, with belt and suspenders make it even doubly clear. Um, you know, I think part of it is that, you know, union leaders, at least in the public sector unions, uh keep getting reelected on the, on a platform that, you know, I delivered you a, a great health package. Uh, and uh, I think they're very attached to that. Uh, there are a lot of union leaders uh, who feel the opposite. Uh, you know, the, the leadership of, you know, local 1199, the healthcare workers union, the New York state nurses, uh, the retail wholesale department store union, the uh, 32BJ, the building service workers and some others uh, strongly endorsed the bill uh, because they say like the 
public employee unions say uh, that every time they're at the bargaining table, they give up wages and benefits uh, to defend the uh, protect the health plan. And, you know, they say, please get it off the bargaining table. We don't want to do this anymore. Um, so we've got a lot of labor support, but there is a big chunk of labor support, politically influential, uh, that has been opposing it. Uh, I am hoping that at some point we will be able to get them on board. Uh, that's what it's going to take to to turn this issue around. What's the um, what's the phase in timeline on 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 the New York Health Act? What you know, one of the things that you often hear when it's discussed informally or even formally is sort of the shock, you know, the immense amount of change that it would require uh, not only financially, tax code, uh, insurance system, all, all of that. What's the what's the estimated timeline for being able to, to phase in the New York Health Act? I figure from the day it gets enacted, it would probably be about two years uh, before it starts yeah. to make claims. Um, you know, it's hard to say. In, in, in 1965, in July of 1965, Lyndon Johnson signed into law the Medicare law, uh, which was a pretty major change in health coverage uh, uh, for older New Yorkers. 11 months later, 11 months later, Medicare was paying claims. And that was in an era with rotary dial phones. Some of your listeners have probably never seen a rotary dial phone. You know, if you wanted to copy a set of regulations from over here and put it into the Medicare regulations, you had to retype it with carbon paper. Um, most people nowadays don't even know what carbon paper is. You know, you couldn't you couldn't copy paste. Uh, if somebody in Washington wanted to share their draft with someone in New York, you had to send it by snail mail. You couldn't email it and send it in a matter of seconds. And yet, despite all of that, they got this done in 11 months. Uh, so I, I, I think, you know, nowadays we have a lot more uh, detail in our administrative procedures uh, that, that, that tend to slow things down. So we I'm, I'm figuring about two years. OK. And seemingly it would require um, a governor who wants to champion and, may, you know, maybe yeah. maybe you get all all of labor, nearly all of labor. And then the governor comes along, whoever that governor is, if they're if they're not already there. But it would seem yeah. it would seem you need a, a governor ready to really make this a, a priority. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Well, uh, obviously, you know, just to get signed into law and, and certainly to get implemented well, uh, you need the governor on board. Uh I believe just based on what I know about her, that if uh, if the legislature had passed the New York Health Act this year, uh, I believe Governor Hochul uh, would have signed it. Um, you know, our new health commissioner, Mary Bassett, appointed by Governor Hochul, uh, is a uh, longtime supporter of single payer health coverage. Uh, um, and her mother, Priscilla, um, I know, was a, has been a, um, a volunteer. Uh, she lives in the Hudson Valley, uh, with, has been a volunteer with the Campaign for New York Health. So uh, Mary Bassett is a second generation advocate for, for single payer. Um, so I, I think if, if the legislature were to do it, I think Governor Hochul would sign it. Mm -hmm. um, 
before before we move to COVID in our final few minutes here, um, anything else on the New York Health Act that is top of mind as you're as you're ending your your legislative tenure here? Is there any other pieces of the equation that you want to enter into the the record here that that people should be thinking about as it enters a new phase with a a new lead in the assembly? Well, you know, it would make an enormous difference for low and moderate income New Yorkers, but even for for middle and upper income New Yorkers. Uh, it would save us all, all 95% of us would save money. Uh, and it would do that even though it would expand the health coverage uh, to include long-term care, meaning home health care and, and nursing home care. You know, I'm, I'm one of a minority of New Yorkers that has uh, insurance coverage for long-term care. Uh, it, it costs me and my wife uh, thousands and thousands of dollars a year uh, to pay for that coverage. Uh, which is why only about, I think, 10 or 15 percent of New Yorkers uh, have long term care coverage. It would make an enormous difference um, in the lives of New Yorkers at all income levels. Uh, well, I think that's where you where you touch on an area of opposition that we didn't mention, which is, you know, in, in swing suburban swing areas of, of statewide elections and in you know state legislative races. Um, you know, upper middle class and, and wealthy New Yorkers, this is not a, a top priority. Well, uh, you'd have to be, you know, like in the top 5% of income earners uh, not to save money under the New York Health Act. And that's not just my estimation. The, you know, the, the Rand Corporation, one of the world's foremost consulting firms, uh, did an analysis of the New York Health Act uh, and came came up with with that conclusion as well. Um, uh, you know, it's I guess part of the obstacle is that, you know, Americans uh, are always skeptical about the uh, about government. Uh, and, you know, we all know the expression, uh, you know, if it, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And so one obstacle to the New York Health Act is that people hear about it and they say, oh, my God, how could it really be that good? Well, the answer is a lot of very smart people have analyzed it and studied it over the years, and it is that good. Um, we are in our last couple minutes here with Assemblymember Dick Gottfried. He represents the 75th Assembly District, uh, which includes uh, several parts of Manhattan on the west side and some parts of Midtown. Assemblymember Gottfried just wrapped up a state legislative session and is in the final months of his tenure, having uh, decided not to seek reelection this year after about 52 years here in the state legislature uh, and uh, the longest serving state legislator in New York state history. Um, you were health committee chair during a pandemic, a yep. very, very deadly pandemic. Um, looking back now on these last couple of years, should the legislature um, have done anything differently? Would you have done anything differently in terms of oversight capacity uh, in the initial months of the COVID pandemic that were obviously the deadliest in New York as it got hit by that first wave? Uh, there were clearly at the time some uh, flaws in the way that then Governor Cuomo was, was managing things. Uh, more things came to light over time. Uh, as you look back on it now, legislature, yourself, the assembly, especially, which you're obviously a part of, should anything have been done differently? Well, probably the 
the biggest problem with our response to COVID uh, was not something we did or didn't do in the last couple of years. It was something that we did under the Cuomo administration for several years, um, and that was squeezing down uh, and, and, and cutting state funding for city and, and county local health departments uh, and really shortchanging our our, our local public health infrastructure, uh, I think, made it a lot harder for counties and, and New York City uh, to, to have the kind of full full strength response in, in getting, you know, getting testing out and getting uh, vaccines out once they became available uh, in, in keeping track of uh, of, of data. Um, I think the way we shortchanged local public health uh, for years before the vaccine, the, before the pandemic, uh, really served us poorly. Um, I think the uh, I think the uh, you know early on we passed legislation that the governor uh, sprang on us at the very in the very last couple of hours of one of our uh, budget struggles uh, to um, to give immunity against lawsuits to uh, all sorts of healthcare providers. Uh, I think that was a mistake. Um, I don't think it made the epidemic worse, but uh, I think that was wrong to do. Um, uh, the, uh, the health department basically uh, hid from us uh, for, for a couple of years, all the data on how many nursing home residents uh, came down with COVID and died. Uh, because if the person died while they were still in their nursing home bed, it got counted as a nursing home d- death. But if they were taken to the hospital and died in the hospital, the health department didn't tell us that that was a nursing home death. Uh, it would be like if you got hit by a car and were taken in an ambulance to the hospital and, and died there, and they didn't count that as a traffic death. Um, mm-hmm. And and so I, I, I think that was certainly, uh, that misled a lot of New Yorkers. Um, but, uh, you know, the state could have done more to get uh, state funding for, uh, you know, for masks and other personal protective equipment out. Uh, uh, that would have been important. Uh, you know, by and large, uh, well, we, we certainly could have done more uh, to support uh, safety net hospitals that serve uh, low-income communities that, uh, uh, that were the hardest hit by the, uh, by the pandemic uh, and really struggled uh, uh, to try to keep their head above water. Uh, the state should have done a lot more, uh, both before the pandemic and during the pandemic, uh, to provide adequate funding to those hospitals. That was another long-term uh, shortchanging that, that that we did, uh, not giving adequate funding to safety net hospitals. And there's uh, there's discussion now. The governor, Governor Hochul, has said she's hired some independent uh, reviewers to take a look at the state's COVID response and and bring back a report. But that's of her own volition through the executive uh, chamber. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's questions around whether the state uh, legislature should pass some sort of law putting together a commission uh, to to review the the state's pandemic response, or at the very least, just look at nursing homes. 
Um, why hasn't, why haven't either of those or, or both of those happened? Well, you know, on the, on the first issue, should should. You know, I've, uh, I don't think there's any great mystery as to why 15,000 nursing home residents died. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's, uh, as I've, I've said, if, if somebody throws a lit match into the hayloft, you don't need a commission to study why the barn burned down. Uh, and nursing homes and people recognize this uh, from the start uh, were inevitably go- going to be uh, a real, uh, you know, a real hotbed uh, of the epidemic. You had a lot of uh, very frail and uh, medically compromised people living in close quarters. Um, and it doesn't take, uh, you know, more than uh, one or two uh, either workers, you know, who breathed in COVID on the subway on their way to work or, or visitors uh, uh, to set off uh, a COVID epidemic uh, in a nursing home. There's no great mystery there. Uh, I think what Governor Hochul is doing now is the right thing. Uh, I hope she will pull together uh, some good independent uh, school of public health uh, experts uh, who can look at, 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 uh, all the things that went on during during COVID, and of course they're still going on, um, and try to learn some lessons. I think that's I think that's enormously important, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's what it takes. It takes a it doesn't need to be a commission. I think pulling together uh, a group of uh, of of good independent, uh, preferably academic public health people. Uh, to do a careful analysis uh, is what it is, is what will hopefully teach us um, a lot of lessons for next time, because there is certainly going to be a next time. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to leave it there. I've kept you a little longer than I said. I appreciate all the time. Uh, Assemblymember Dick Gottfried represents the 75th Assembly District, including uh, different parts of Manhattan, especially on the west side and parts of, of Midtown, the longest serving legislator in New York state history. Uh, any any last word you want to have that we didn't get to? Any any uh, any parting thought that uh, we didn't touch on, or or anything you want to share with the audience as as you say well, you know, to those listening? One of the things that has kept me in the in the legislature was realizing early on that uh, while New Yorkers tend to think mostly about City Hall or Washington, uh, the fact is most of the laws uh, that affect our daily lives and a large part of the public spending that affects our daily lives comes not from City Hall or Washington, but from Albany. And uh, New Yorkers need to really keep a a close eye on on your legislators. Uh, Watch what they're doing. uh, Support them when they're doing the right things. Let them hear from you when they're not. Uh, It's really a a central part of of our public life. Assemblymember Dick Godfrey, thank you for the time. Uh, thank you for your your service of these decades, and uh, and it was good chatting with you. and uh, And be well. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for doing this. 